NTU World of Wisdom. Welcome to High Impact Thesis. In this podcast, we speak with researchers from various scientific fields to talk about the motivation, goal, and potential impact of their research. We also want to give you a sense of how a PhD is carried out with an emphasis on the PH, the philosophical aspects involved in pursuing a PhD. Uh, welcome to the HEAT podcast, where we talk with researchers from NTU and other parts of Singapore where they talk about their research work with us. So to, in today's episode, we have uh, Hikrit Atilgan, uh, who talked to us about her research. So uh, Hikrit, you're very welcome to the HEAT podcast. Thank you so much, Christopher. I'm happy to be here. And thank you for your efforts, despite all these restrictions, trying to make this work. <laughs> uh, so we want this to be a casual conversation where you, being the person that knows the most about this particular topic, can talk to us in a casual way about the work you're doing. Uh, it's important for both your, you know, specifically the way you're tackling it, but also for the whole society or in a, in a general sense, what will it do for society? So we hope that you'll be comfortable to share as much as you can beyond the questions that we are going to have. These questions are supposed to be guiding questions uh, to sort of uh, lead the conversation in some direction, but feel free to share as much info as you can that would allow our listeners to really understand what your research is about, okay? Okay. Um, I think then maybe I can start first introducing myself. So my name is Hidret. I am a PhD student under um, Neuroscience Psychology School of Social Sciences at NTU. So this is my third year, uh, and I, I I'm almost luckily almost done with my projects actually. <laughs> so I have completed two projects, and then I am doing the third one. But then all of them are linked to each other, right? So. And we are just trying to kind of answer a question that we have in mind and then looking at from different perspective. And I will try to, so instead of maybe going into details of my research too much, because both thing, one thing is it's not really allowed because it's not published yet. And the second thing is because it might be too niche for general audience maybe. So I thought it might be best if I kind of talk about the general idea behind this research, right? So the, um, and then for that, I think I can start with introducing some of the concepts. Like okay, so it... I think you're, oh, you, 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 you started, you, you've, uh, you've answered the question that it's supposed to be question number one, but just... <laughs> but <laughs> oh, because just you, so... <laughs> you told me just to go, like, give so... as much as information you can. So, so I think, like, I took it I mean... too literal. <laughs> okay, you can just stop me so... and then ask your questions. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so we, we start with just uh, tell us what is your research about in layman terms. In other words, you meet someone in the streets and you only have a few minutes to share with them what your research is about. What do you tell them? Okay. So the broader term would be the plasticity. So this means just not long ago, it was believed that the brain is uh, kind of stable. So after a certain period of childhood that it didn't change and uh, like every region was already established and there was no way to kind of change these regions and or their functionalities. However, 
so in recent decades, it's actually it was discovered that the there is this thing called plasticity, meaning that actually the brain can go through this rewiring, restructuring. Uh, when there is a need, when there is a need for adaptation. And these needs can be whether there is this some kind of brain trauma, right? Some lesions, some problems, some accidents. And then brain has to come up different ways to make up for those lost regions. Or it can be just this sensory loss that people born with it, like blindness, deafness, congenital blindness or deafness, or later in the life that it happens, right? Or it's simply actually those are kind of maybe extreme situations that it can be hard to understand. But actually it is simply, it was discovered that every time you learn, actually your brain goes through this neuroplasticity, meaning that it just changes itself, right? It just creates these new roads, new pathways, so it new wires. And this is everything that all of us studying, learning, from physical activities, riding a bike, to just having this like really philosophical thinking. All these things are actually brain's way to adapt to this change, to, to new so, so. information. Mm -hmm. So this idea of plasticity, actually, it was the kind of a really big change, big start, because as I said before, it was believed that every the region in the brain, it was established. And then, especially with the blind research, so blind brain, when it was studied, it actually, there was lots of good contributions coming from that one because the terminology, which is called this time cross-model plasticity, meaning that when there is a, uh, so when they, because these blind people, they are not able to see, right? Mm -hmm. And then before it was thought that, okay, this vision region, so-called vision region is not operating anymore. However, it was found that actually it is operating, but it is used so different senses like tactile, so the like touch or mm -hmm. uh, auditory hearing, they are using this region to their own benefits. So which mm -hmm. is giving them even kind of these extra abilities, right? Mm -hmm. So and which is which was really a good thing because then you actually we could understand that it is not disability; it is actually differently abled brains with mm -hmm. the deafness or blindness and then the after this part then of, of course this was a kind of a big buzz right oh like brain is able to use this region which we thought was vision region for other senses then the idea was oh okay but is everything is that plastic does everything change because um it is good that brain is able to adapt, but think of it as kind of from architectural perspective, like a building. So mm -hmm. you you can design it like you can decide to use the kitchen where normally kitchen is. You can suddenly make it a bedroom maybe if the necessity happens, but still you shouldn't really change the pillars of the house, right? Because then it would just like crumble the whole structure. So of course, then this terminology came, which is supramodality, meaning that above modalities, above senses. So we, it was thought that there are regions that are this, even there is the sensory loss, let's say, because we are talking about blindness. So even when there is a loss of vision, these regions are not affected at all because there are regions that go through the change when there is a sensory loss. But then there are these regions which are always stable. So those are called supramodality, which is 
that they are independent of senses, that they are these common regions that just processes information for all senses. And why this is important? This is very important for us because actually the kind of biggest question neuroscientists are trying to figure out is how these neuronal mechanisms enable the cognitive um, functioning, right? So the mm -hmm. things that we take for granted, let's say this, this integration between senses. So when I say an apple, how come you can both hear it and imagine it and even kind of remember the taste of it, right? If I ask you to like remember it. So this sounds maybe easy when because you just keep doing it naturally, right? Your brain is able to do it. But if you think about it, it is just such a difficult integration. And we are mm -hmm. still not sure, but by studying these kind of different concepts with all these new discoveries, that we are trying to come closer to the understanding that how brain integrates information to come up with this really complicated, advanced cognit cognition. Okay, so on the plasticity part, when it is... Um... I'm, I want to understand the physical thing that's what's happening there. Is it that new neurons in another part of the brain are any different than neurons in another part of the brain, or is it just the same things? And when you say this neuroplasticity, what physical change, um, if there is, is there any actual physical change in the neurons? Or okay, is, very good question. Actually, yes, because, I mean, it's easier to just kind of gloss over the term, but when you say plasticity, you can have it in in various levels, right? It can be in synaptic plasticity, in synaptic level. It can be structural plasticity or functional plasticity. So what do I mean with those? So um, the most, the easiest one, let's say, is the functional plasticity in a way that, mm -hmm. for example, normally the incited brain, when you compare the blind and sighted, when you hear something, it would just go to the auditory area, which is in this, like in these parts. Okay. I mean, of course, the listeners can't see it, sorry. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> above your ears, right? So in this region, but in blind, it is actually seen that the pathway changes, this, these connections, right? So these neuronal connections. So it goes to the vision area first, then travels down to the audition. So, we can say that it is um, mostly in the connectivity level. So we have these, um, the, so um, I'm trying to find a way to make it less complicated. So because anyway, when the information is processed, even though we say it is a vision region, it just doesn't go there and stays there, right? So everything is connected. So it is just, it is processed mainly in that region, but then everything again travels to the frontal regions to make sense of it. And then also there's this language involved. You put this semantic knowledge to it, and then it becomes this kind of the, um, let's say, the complex cognitive uh, processing. But the in when it happens, when this plasticity happens before the sensory loss, it is actually... They are using not common pathways, stops that the sighted would use. So they are, that is what the way it is called rewiring. So they are just developing new pathways 
to make use of the vision region because it is not getting this visual stimuli anymore. So they mm. are using different information, processing it at this region and then sending it back to, again, this common existing region in normal brain. But <laughs> this is, let's say, it's a big change, big functional change. But if we are just thinking about learning, which everyone does, it is basically the idea is think of it as kind of um, um, the motorway, like this traffic, right? So when you learn something and then you, when you practice it, you strengthen those uh, highways and then they become like when they are a narrow road, they become actually bigger highways. The more you practice, the more you study, the more you learn, they actually become this kind of prominent highways. So the next time when you ask for an Uber, it is easier for it to travel to this highway, right? Because you all, it already exists. It is so easy for you to carry this information mm -hmm. and or do this action. However, uh, when you learn something new, suddenly you are actually building a new road. And then if you uh, practice that thought or this action, then it becomes you just make these roads um, stronger and then it becomes the new kind of uh, new pathway, right? Mm -hmm. And the, in the same way, how you make a pathway stronger, you can actually make it so you can lose it as well. So the rule in the brain is if you don't use it, you lose it kind of idea, which is that's why it's interesting. So when we first talk about neuroplasticity, everyone thinks that, oh, it is so cool. It is actually really helpful for the brain. But I would say it is kind of neutral because, yes, you can really pick up good habits. Uh, you can really learn good things. But actually, you can also pick up bad habits as well, right? So this is so also... I think, uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 uh, I think I'll ask a bit later on about, in particular, this idea of um, uh, how we can leverage things that have already been strengthened, as in the strong highways you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But maybe they are... You know, can you can you then reuse that for other things? No, yeah, you know, very like good this. question. Very good question. Because it's already trained, right? It's very strong already, so you yes, might as well yes. use it. Perfect question. Actually, that is why the whole idea. So there is this kind of um, neurotherapies, right? So this is the idea behind it. So the interestingly, and this is of course. These are all findings, but I mean, we are all scientists, right? We the, Maybe like someone will find something else and we will just say, oops, sorry, we were wrong. However, the, I can say that with the MRI studies, neuroimaging studies, behavioral studies, all these are supported. So they are like strong evidences for all this neuroplasticity, the stuff that I am talking about. And mm -hmm. for the findings, the interesting thing is now that what is being discussed is, for example, if uh by mm, let's say through dancing your somehow your um, math abilities can also improve right mm -hmm. yeah i mean if, that would be great right exactly That's so if would... they are like if the common principles behind them is the same for example that is why um with the the physical activity 
because you are improving these neurons in your, let's say, hippocampus, but then actually it is helping with this dementia kind of idea. So that is why actually it is really important to learn the functionality of a region and it is connections. So the idea would be that even that region itself is damaged, you can find other ways to somehow rewire, like maybe it's a, it will be a longer road, so it can't really match with the normal function of it, but still it will be compensatory, right? It will be still that enable these people to perform some of those functions by rerouting the cable, let's say. So, and, or it is not for the disease. Um, it can be that for learning uh, way, for example, with this neurotherapies now, with the ADHD, anxiety, they are actually finding this, making this fine-tuned uh, teaching materials for this specific group of children. So they can, if it is, it, if, if just one way is just too overwhelming for them to give, to make the, like for that region to function, it is too overwhelming for them. They are actually making, finding different ways to make the, to have the brain improve through other means right like mm -hmm. we talk so like kind of by making mm -hmm. them dense actually you are somehow improving their special uh, um, processing and then through that maybe uh, also the statistics is involved in that actually because you are keeping statistics of free team like you subconsciously right so by doing those you are somehow improving their this statistical understanding their this like both spatial coding and so it will be easier for them to maybe next time when they try to learn math again they will be already like it will be quicker for them to pick up the concepts and then they will feel much more comfortable and then continue from that part. All right. So I think we'll move away a little bit from there and uh, go a little bit in specifics about uh, what you do. All right. So I think you gave us a good sense of neuroplasticity and uh, why it's important. So we would like to move on now to what you personally do. So how does your research process looks like and on a day-to-day -day basis? And uh, also what kind of tools you find helpful to, to carry out your research? Mm -hmm. So with my research, I mean, I talk about like kind of general concepts, so it can be kind of easier to describe my research. So I think we are at a good point for that now. So if I'm, for my research, without being able to go into details, I will say that um, I am looking at the brain region, which is already kind of discovered uh, that it is a specific region. So it is if we the you think about this graph theory a little bit or okay, let's find a better layman term for that. Uh, maybe bus stops. <laughs> so in this like mm -hmm. kind of traffic, the kind of these certain stops which are stronger. So these nodes, these hubs. So there is this kind of region which is thought to have a specific function, but basically I am just trying to determine its functionality uh, by asking clever questions. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I am so by through having different hypotheses, and one of the hypotheses is definitely supramodality for that region for me. 
So we are assuming that that region is not only responsible for that function only in vision, but also in touch and probably mm -hmm. for audition as well. Uh, or it is multisensory basically. And then what this means actually, if I rephrase it again, so supramodality would be just uh, what, so the cross modality is what happens when there is a lack of vision, so how brain mm -hmm. changes. And supramodality is what stays same uh, even when there's a loss of vision. So what doesn't get affected, what gets affected, right? So my theory is this region is so important that even when there is um, uh, when there is no vision, this region still develops despite the, like regardless of vision or any sense because this is ah, kind of a okay. really common important hub because everyone wow. uses it, so it needs to be there, right? Okay, so okay. for that. We, one of the ways, there is this um, machine called TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation. So that TMS machine is actually able to uh, um, sp target a specific neuronal regions in the brain, right? Neuronal populations. And we are able to manipulate those neurons activation so either excite them more so just say like oh let's we are having a party make some noise so we can pick it up pick it up more right because it's like so deep in the brain i need to excite them <laughs> to be able mm. to see what's going on uh, or it is just we just make them really silent so they can't really function this is temporarily right so whatever yeah. we do that's why it is invasive so we are just kind of creating this temporary change in the neuronal population, be it some temporary lesion or excitation. And we are trying, by doing that, we are basically are able to differentiate this group, this region from the others. And then by making participants do some tasks, because keep in mind, if I am muting their functionality temporarily they are not able to perform then i am able to understand from through the participants uh, performance whether this uh, region was essential for this function or not oh, okay. okay so let me give an example right let's say you you use this region for singing and i am stimulating this region so if I am at the right region, which this neurons responsible for you to sing, and then I send this um, like this stimulation, so this this electrical induction to your brain. So if I am inhibiting those neurons, meaning that it is not suddenly you stop singing, it is not that dramatic because brain is perfect, like it will always find a way. But because now you can't use the main ones, it will actually reduce your probably you will kind of like forget it right like it will take more effort for you to be able to sing like you normally it is such an instinctive thing you just go like blah 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 but then it will actually be like oh wait what was the words maybe like oh what was the tune so depending on the region i am doing so basically i am interrupting the function of that region right so you mean that you can do this right now so can i do it to you then Yes, uh, yes. Accidentally? Yes. Yeah. yes. Or uh, <laughs> that is to say, 
can someone do it to another person and they would wouldn't know it Oh okay nah. I mean you you would realize it because you sitting under head. the machine Yeah but I think what what you are trying to ask is because I mean I gave kind of like a really um, uh, the example is it will be easier for you to tell that whether something is happening or not with this example right but actually in my version because it is it is little bit it is subtle so the subject the participants themselves they are not really able to tell which region that i played with right mm-hmm. so i can we only see it with the reaction times and then when we do this analysis so it is not that prominent it is not that obvious okay okay can it really target like a very specific regions with such high precision the transcranial magnetic stimulation okay very good question as well so <laughs> for that one what we do my study is called uh, fmri uh, oh my god i forgot my set okay it's called targeted <laughs> aided <laughs> uh, so this is the um, fmri supported tms so meaning that first okay. in the first step i actually use fmri so mri is you know from the hospitals this mri you go into this machine right so when it is fmri so meaning functional um, imaging so it is that we are we they they perform this simple task inside the mri machine and we are able to locate this region for each individual uh, through this task because mm-hmm. when they perform this task the brain somehow let's say layman term it kind of highlights right so there is this blood rush to that region so then we know that this region is responsible for this function then i can because i have this specific location for each participant then when they come for tms it is already ready so i already know the region which region to stimulate so it is almost becomes kind of like this prisma game this pri- so this kind of like almost a video game because i can already see their brain the region so basically i just kind of find the specific target i hold this coil so it, the tms machine has this coil so i specifically find this perfect coordinates and then this perfect like bullseye and then send the stimulation through this region that way oh so, so do you have like deep access to the deep seated areas of the brain or is it mostly on the outer outer uh, regions yes another good question so <laughs> the unfortunately the, the deep regions of the brains are still an enigma for neuroscientists mm. because although there are new ways that the um, uh, researchers are trying to come over this problem right they they are like trying to find different ways but still um, both for fmri tms the our best bet is the places close to the the surface so the court oh. the this your skull right so within okay. in this midbrains the deep regions the uh it will be just i mean it's too too unknown it is too far away because also yeah. imagine this kind of if we think about the brain like um, an ocean let's say like a water mm. so right so the deeper you go the more actually 
you lose this information you lose contact with oh, the okay. like the you know how how for even for the divers there is this I think certain meters they can go right with the even with the their oxygen tank and everything like after a while it just stops working <laughs> so this yeah. kind of idea so this is basically because it's a so the the more it needs to travel inside the the more um it will lose its power this is the oh, idea okay, okay. and then mm-hmm. there's this safety measurements so we can't exceed certain threshold for safety mm-hmm. So we then it is not really able to reach this neuronal population. So the closer it is to the surface, the better we can better, know yeah. it is mm. impact the power and we can control those because those are really important. So it is not kind of random. It needs to even before it comes to this stage of where you want to manipulate this region, there are lots of calculation goes into the which kind of protocol is the best, the direction of the induction, all these things. So it is actually very complicated procedures yeah. all over, right? So the, yeah. the, the less you know about the protocol, then you wouldn't know, maybe you are reaching, but because you basically don't know the, uh, let's say, the specifics of the um, impacts you are trying to achieve, right? Because mm-hmm. basically you can't really uh, understand the, the deeper it goes. So whatever you find, you wouldn't be able to make a good causation relationship. It can be correlational, but we are trying to achieve the causation, not the correlation. And, and so I, I, TMS is uh, trans, stands for? Transcranial magnetic stimulation. And so that is electromagnetic induction. That's how you stimulate the different regions. And I'm wondering whether you can do it using drugs. Is that something that people do? Uh, oh, I mean, I mean, you by just speci- the targeting a specific region by these um, drugs, right? Yes, drugs or hormones or whatever, things that can go make the changes, but without you using electromagnetic induction. Uh, honestly, I, I'm not really aware if that is being done. Because I would assume that with the drugs, it is the problem would be because the blood brain barrier issue, you know, like the blood that is circulating your body and then it goes to the brain, but actually there are filters and everything. So it needs to be really specific, which you can design, but it will be, I mean, and I am not good on those things, but it will be too many things to control with the biological aspects of it, right? Because Mm -hmm. this time it is actually your body breaking it down to its elements so i don't know how they honestly if there are drugs they are trying to come up for alzheimer and everything i am assuming they are trying to find some ways but i would assume the difficulty is just sending the right um the ingredient to the right location Mm -hmm. so how how can they do that i am not sure because even with the brain, when we talk about these specific regions, blah, blah. But keep in mind, sometimes it is just, it is not the region itself. It is the connections it makes creates the difference. So mm-hmm. it might be, so you you can target maybe the building, the bus stop, but maybe you need to intercept the traffic that is leading to the building. You see what I mean? So it is not okay. the building itself, but actually you should stop the traffic. So because these things are really not really known, 
I mean, it's still being studied. So I'm not sure if they allow it to be tested on humans yet. Maybe they are trying it with the animals. Okay, okay, that's fine. I'm just wondering uh, what are the main ways to change. So you basically work primarily with uh, fMRI and uh, TMS, right? Mm -hmm. Together. Okay, but um, I wonder what advantage would uh, TMS provide over fMRI? Why why don't you just use MRI and uh, focus primarily on using MRI for doing your? Uh, oh, okay. So. Uh, why we need to combine these two is basically because they they have different they give you different abilities let's say right so because with the MRI and fMRI we can record so we can have let's say with the MRI have a neutral photo of the brain mm -hmm. uh, and then with fMRI we can kind of get this activation photo let's say but you can't so it is just taking a photo right so you can't yeah. manipulate the brain so you can't make brain do something from outside it is just you can give them some tests but again it is just uh, so this is called like imaging right so it is just you just visualize the stuff okay, okay. but uh -huh. you can't manipulate it so tms gives us this ability to play with it let's say play so with it. to okay. manipulate mm -hmm. some so still non-invasive i'm stressing that one <laughs> so that my <laughs> potential participants don't run away <laughs> so it is still non-invasive but yes it gives us so you are able to let's say directly do something to the brain so it is not just visualization just watching it but this time, uh, playing with it a little bit, yes. So, so it 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 is non non invasive or it is non invasive. So the invasive by that you simply mean you don't open their brain, but you actually do get in in. Oh yeah, I mean right. because invasive ways are that those are like kind of scary pictures. But maybe you have seen it with the monkeys where where they put electrodes, right? So they just uh -huh. kind of have this surgeries and then. But then, thanks to them, this is how TMS uh, machines are created. Like, or how we have this vast knowledge about the brain is through. I mean, it's unfortunate, but that through these animal studies and invasive ways, right? Or mm -hmm. in previously, it was actually lesion studies. So let's say somehow someone has some uh, lesion or some accident, and then some part of brain is damaged. So whether after they die, they kind of take the brain, dissect it before, and then try to see what's going on. So to make some the um, connections, they say, oh, okay, this person was having these symptoms when they were living, and then we look at the brain, this region is missing, so they try to match it. But then the problem with those lesion studies was that because when, actually when, when lesion happens, it is usually not targeted specific region, it just spills over other regions, right? So you can never really be sure if it directly is matching with this specific region or not. But with mm -hmm. TMS, what it gives this ability, and because it is non-invasive, because you are not opening the brain, you are not protruding anything to the brain, but also because, like I said, through the protocol you apply, it is, for us at least, like the study I'm doing, it is temporary, right? So it doesn't create these long-term effects. What is protocol that you're talking about? 
Sorry? When you say protocol, you're talking about... Oh, what? okay. Uh, I mean, I am talking about the TMS protocol we are following. And so because the TMS has, depending on... Uh, because I can talk about our measurements specifically, so let me try. So depending on... Oh, okay, I can say this. So there is this, for example, single, I mean, it's idea about this, like the mechanism, but there's a single pulse, repetitive pulse. So depending on uh, what kind of pulses you send to the brain, you can try to achieve different results. You know how I talked about difference between excitation or inhibition? This is how you can achieve it. So depending on what you choose, how the threshold, the region, the direction of the pulse, the coil you hold. So you can actually create different effects. Okay, so the patterns you make are the act sort of, is the way you communicate with the brain. Yeah, because, I mean, mm, for I example, I keep saying ours is temporary, right? But actually, TMS right now is being used for depression therapy, for example. And that one is aimed to make it long-lasting, but they, they have different protocols. And then these subjects, they go through this more um, still control, but kind of intense version. So they go probably every day, right? So they get this kind of different do doses. And then at the end, after a while, after a couple of, I think around six sessions, six to ten sessions, they are actually this long-term plasticity happens. So the so because you keep sending these, do you keep, uh, let's say, playing with the same uh, neuronal circuit? So you are actually developing this healthy connections and then through that, or breaking the bad ones. So through that, actually, the rate is very good. So now it is FDA approved. And then these... Uh, patients, they are able to live without uh, um, depending on the drugs, right? So they don't need to have wow. drug therapy anymore. So they mm -hmm. can actually be uh, cured of their depression and then start living healthy lives through that. Okay. Right. Or yeah. there is also this another one, which is trying to be done for dementia, right? This is also like kind of, kind of the biggest um, obstacle they say that waits for the for 21st century because our through health improvements actually we are living longer so probably we are seeing more effects of dementia happening so now there is this kind of um, good buzz around it to make it stop or maybe kind of the uh, kind of have preventive measures to have a late start at least, right? So now like it doesn't start mm. early. So then for this one as well, they are doing this TMS again. And, uh, but unfortunately that one's success rate is still low. So the effect is seen that they are able to have a good memory, kind of retain the, or just kind of have an improvement with their memory, but it is unfortunately temporary. So now yeah. it is, they are trying to come up with a ways to make it like they do with the depression therapy, they are trying to 
find uh, maybe a good protocol or good region to stimulate so that they the effect can be long lasting mm -hmm. oh. um i remember there is also another uh, technique they are developing also for improving neuroplasticity or for different kinds of therapies including adhd uh that one was uh, uh, neurofeedback right you have an idea about that I like, think the with the ADHD, uh, they are doing this uh, basically because also with the ADHD, it is it is just used kind of the really general umbrella right term. Oh, okay. But it is also that is why these neurotherapy centers are actually becoming somehow good, like famous, good good to go places for people as well. I mean, to that being said, there are also. Lots of people who are misusing it, right? I'm sure you see. Okay. Like if you yeah. type in the YouTube or Google, there are lots of oh, I will change your brain kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah, they they can be proud. But then in the real good uh, clinics, I think the good thing is they try to so they make you do these tasks, right? Lots of different tasks, tuned to the way that to understand which region in your brain might be having a trouble which connection right because okay. the of course there are after studying many people you kind of have a general idea what is the common uh, regions common problems but it can be also depending on the individual it can show differences right so it's you can't just say that the, especially for something like ADHD, because it involves many regions. So you can't just say, oh, okay, just kind of give same drug to everyone. Actually, maybe the good thing with neuroscience is it is going to the way of more making it specified to the individual's need. So with mm. this version, by making you do these tasks, then if they identify which of the regions in your brain maybe need more practice and then what kind mm. of strengthening those needs and then but they actually combine this both stimulation but actually making the task action itself as well and sometimes it doesn't even have to be the tms any kind of stimulation it can be as simple as for example for the lesion study someone who has some kind of a stroke and they are not able to really use their left hand anymore and consciously they of course this is now easier you just keep picking up everything with your right hand so they say simply this kind of physiotherapy more than neurotherapy but that's actually neurotherapy they just basically have this lady just um, kind of control the arm so they just tie the arm right like you can they can't use the left arm the right arm sorry so then they have to force their body and then by default their brain to use the left and then by basically by every day maybe 15 minutes at the beginning then half an hour then one hour by keep using this hand forcing it you are telling your brain you are giving the message that i still need this arm right so just don't get comfortable and don't lose the connections and although mm -hmm. I know you are happy you have the right, but don't <laughs> trust on that only because I will still use my left arm. So you are basically convincing your brain through your actions and, and you are just saying that, okay, just the, please 
make the right connections, strengthen them because I will keep using my left one. So this mm-hmm. is physical example, but think of it as every kind of, even for abstracting, so learning a new language, doing something new, you are basically just convincing your brain that I will do this or I won't do this anymore. So please just either lose it or just make it stronger. All right. Uh, Hikrit, now I think we're going to move on to more more uh, speculative arena. That's to say it might not be directly your line of work, but because you're in this field, we feel you might have an opinion about the uh, some concepts and ideas. Okay. So... Um, I'm going to ask a few that I think are interesting to, to think about. One is, um, you said that you have this protocol that you can tell the brain to do some things. How, how far into the future do you think we would have the ability to say, for example, tell the brain to do physical things like create, you know, so there is a brain and then you have, you want to talk to the genes to produce some proteins, for example. I suppose right now, that's not possible. Is that something that might be possible in the future? Oh. Where are you? So you are Where? talking about somehow consciously manipulating, so almost having this kind of conscious control over biological kind of even, even right. turning on some mutation on and off. Oh. Right, because okay. if you are... That one is meta. Okay. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, that's interesting. I mean, the, I, I think it's all, uh, it's kind of, first of all, probably it will take kind of a long time because, um, Ahmed already told me that you will have someone uh, who is going to talk about this brain connectivity and, and everything. So I'm sure he will be able to delve into this stuff more. But I will say that, uh, for, as much as that we, we talk about brain does this and that, but I would say that still to, it's just, everything is so new. Everything is just such a baby steps that we don't even re- we are trying to understand the regions, the connection, but it is just, it just seems kind of far away to imagine that we can map the brain. Uh, meaning that we can map the regions, their connections, and it is just kind of, it's not only one con- connection, so the harder part, again, like your ne- guest will tell you, but it is just the, you see the highway, right? So let's say that's the connection, but how do you know if it is going from A to B? So you see it on the highway, right? But don't imagine as cars, like, so you can see the front and back. So it is, you are just seeing something moving, maybe. So do you know if it is going from A to B and then coming back? Is it, is it his first run? Does it stop there and doesn't come back? Something else comes back. It is just, you know, like, imagine you, you need to figure out the, the both A point, B point, their function, their connection. What is traveling in between? What is the first stop, last stop? So it is just so complicated right now. If you can, but in theory, if you can maybe map out all these things, it can it give you a chance to manipulate it from mm. outside, like how we do just maybe let's say this neurochips or something, maybe, but then to 
get it to the level that true brain source turning genes on and off? I I really don't know. <laughs> like you okay. said, it's like too much. <laughs> I mean, of course, like in one sense, I just want to say, why not? Let's try it. But then <laughs> also, of course, if you are thinking scientifically, just like, you know, with all the money flow and everything, would the how to explain it and then also there's this ethical concerns should we really mm-hmm. do it you know should we yeah. even if you can should you really have the power to play with someone's genes that way i don't know and, and, so, and so currently we have not fully mapped out the brain is that right we, we, yes, there are some yes. regions that we don't know yet and and, and also specifically the, we, you said that the, at a certain point the brain or a region of the brain stops realizes that there is no more light information that I should be processing, then I can now go on and be used for other things. Yes. So there is a module that currently does that detection, or how does it work? Does it just oh, realize okay. that I haven't done it for a long time, then I should so, change this area specific region? Because, so when we are born, we are actually, we have the highest number of these uh, synapses, right? So these, so let's say neurons, the capacity, neuronal capacity. So there is this critical period in our childhood. So it is both, again, lots of discussions, nature, nurture, your genetic blueprint. But whatever it is, basically your, your neurons are, so with the ones, so they go through this kind of uh, synaptic pruning. Mm-hmm. Imagine it as kind of branch, right? So imagine, yeah, okay, okay. So imagine, you know how they make this kind of shape out of uh, these, uh, how you call them, bushes, right? So yeah, you have this kind of bush, right? Then they sometimes make, let's say, rabbit out of it. So imagine yeah. this kind of situation. So it is kind of this lots of lots of branches and then like the, the, the bushes. And then with the, so... If it gets this, so it is already, for example, for the vision, it is already pre-programmed to become a, let's say, vision neuron. However, if it doesn't get the information at this critical period, then it says, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, I am not getting any visual stimuli. Okay, guys, let's take the other role because like our main role might be this. But this is for the cross-modal ones, right? Because again, there are lots of different neuronal types. We talked about supramodal ones, cross-modal ones. So, I mean, I'm just, it's a caution. So don't think this is for all the neurons. I'm just giving kind of an example of uh, some type. So then, the after this critical period, so that's why with the blind studies, we have a group called congenital blinds and late blinds. So congenitally mm-hmm. blind ones, the change, the changes the brain goes is amazing, right? It is just really profound, really impressive, really, really interesting. But with the late blind, for example, because after the critical period, which is usually depending on the function, it changes. But let's say around the age eight to 10, right? So after this period, already the roles are divided. So it is harder for brain to go through the change. It still happens. It still happens because we keep learning, right? Until we die. So it's some, but these big ones, the ones that are be called cross-model, like really big impactful ones, they happen less and less and less. Mm-hmm. So when you compare the 
congenital blind, late blind and sighted ones, you would see that with the late blind, some of the functions, the, the, the way the brain works is similar to the sighted and some of the way is similar to the uh, congenital blind ones. But it is actually really helpful because then we can see that which regions need this critical period that you have to give this information to them at this time and then later in life it is actually not really uh, too helpful, let's say. And then which information is actually can always be developed, like which region functionality can always be changed uh, regardless of the age. So it doesn't have this kind of critical period. Mm -hmm. Okay, so mm -hmm. if a child is born and they're left in the dark, uh, let's say for the first five years of their life, yes, yes. it means that like... like uh, what is no information? How do they interpret no information? So for example, it's just be I'm not receiving light, that's it? Or um let's say blindfolded, right? Because even there is no I mean there's no okay, maybe pitch black uh kind of chamber might work, but still they can maybe see shades or something. So I'm just I'm just gonna imagine that you blindfolded them, right? Like you're an awful person, you put them in somewhere, blindfolded them for five years. So mm. Still, five years, even after that, it can develop. But I would say, even with the... Okay. Even you don't even need the child example. What we can say, for some people, they are congenitally blind. But actually, it was not due to anything wrong with their brain, right? It is just with the hardware. So, let's say some of their... Um, um, neurons between eye track and these things, it was damaged. Okay, mm -hmm. so the this cable, and then through the um, medical advancement, actually it happens with the cataract patients mostly. So in these childs who are born in these uh, undeveloped countries, because they can't get any medical tra treatment, so actually from the by their babies to let's say until 15 years old, they live in this darkness. But actually, it is a really simple procedure now, right? So they can even do it like in 10 minutes. So then they, when they look at these people who can regain their sight, this is what, what is interesting. You know how I told you that neuroplasticity is actually can be good, can be both good and bad. You would, interesting thing is it was found until this is actually my master study as well that I looked at the structural functional changes. And then this was really interesting. Because before it was not known how big the change the, this blind brain goes, the people thought when your eyes suddenly open, you will be the happiest person in the world, right? Oh, I can see, like perfect, everything is fine. But actually, these patients who regained their sight, almost it was actually it was really high numbers, like seventy. I don't want to give too much numbers, like not to be statistically wrong. But then it was interesting that these patients they actually suffered from depression after they regained their sight which was baffling oh. because why suddenly they are unhappy because and then most of them there are even anecdotes that why even though they can see now they choose to wear blindfolds you know to go back oh. to the dead state and then it was mm. baffling why this is happening that which is why after understanding this this brain changes as if 
You know how the baby is newly born? We try to not to subject them to the too much light, too much noise because it is overwhelming. So the same idea. So you have to, we, the, the scientists realize that because it is such a big change and then now brain having this new information, you have to ease the brain into it, right? So you can't suddenly open their eyes and say, okay, now see, right? Now let there be light and then be happy. <laughs> so you can't do yeah. that. So you have to, that is why there is also this neurotherapy we talked about. Actually, now when the, when a patient has this, the site recovery operation, they make them go through this little doses of um, seeing in a day, right? They start maybe mm -hmm. one minute at the beginning, then five minutes, 10 minutes every day until the brain has enough time to rewire itself. And it can do. And then what is seen is, this is also still a really new research, but then it is seen that because now it is just uh, re-re-plasticity, right? So it already went through the plasticity, through blindness. Now we are just reversing it, this kind of reverse plasticity. And interestingly, mm -hmm. Again, do, depending on the period, how long they were blind, this critical period, blah, blah, blah. But some of the, these plasticities are totally reversed. So they become as if they were never blind, some of the function, the same with the sighted. But for some changes, some plasticities, they are not reversible, which is really interesting as well, right? So oh. all these things give us this information of the nature of this region, this neuronal population, how they react to the change, which one are, are reversible, which one are not. So then you can actually develop programs, neurochips, whatever you want to do with that information, you can do an informed design, right? So it wouldn't be random. Yes. So I think la last question, very general, is uh, is in your line of work or the kind of research you're doing, when the biggest breakthrough, whatever you, you tell us what that would be, uh, if that were to come about, what kind of society would we, would we be looking at? If the research you're doing and the breakthroughs you're seeking were to come about, what kind of world are we looking at? Um, I mean, it's, as someone who loves science fiction, <laughs> I think I always imagine that, you know, in the Matrix, if you watch that, there is this scene that where Neo goes, I know Kung Fu, you know, they put this like really yeah. old cassette tapes and then press, and then he just kind of learns the, I don't know, years of information in seconds, his eye goes like this, and then he just says, I know Kung Fu, and then he's able to do it. So I think the, in really extreme world, I can imagine a way that you can, if uh, somehow downloading a brain, downloading an information from a trained brain, when I say downloading, kind wow. of figuring out the coding of this connection. So somehow, hmm. if you can implement that information to almost mm -hmm. kind of like Bluetooth maybe, or just kind of, just, you know, the... <laughs> information passing so if you could do that so imagine if you 
if you could share information, right? If I could mm -hmm. share all the knowledge I have and then mm -hmm. kind of pass it to you and then you download it, that mm -hmm. would be really interesting. That, mm -hmm. would, it, would it create... I mean, of course, it, like, I, I, I'm just talking about extreme, right? There are lots of things in play that it would make it not possible. But then it will be interesting, actually, it would it create that when everyone has this almost common knowledge and then you build on it, or it is just too much knowledge, it actually makes your brain crash down. I don't know how it, what's going to happen with that. But although, I mean, I'm saying it's science fiction, but actually... It is somehow being tried. For example, with the mice, it was interesting. So there was this study. Um, the, they put this mother mouse, right? And then she, they, so she goes along this maze and then they gave her the electric shock at some points, right? So mm -hmm. when she makes a maybe wrong turn, something, and then she's shocked at that gate, that gate, but that gate is safe. And then she knows how to go out. So then they dissect her brain, like take all this, like kind of look at the region and everything, this coding. And then they put this, this uh, information to this, the, her baby, right? So the new, new mouse. So they put this mouse to this maze, which this mouse has never been into this maze before. But then it was able to find the um, exit without going through this like shocking part, right? So it, it behaved as if it knows the route and the, mm. the places where they give it a shock. Mm. Okay. So I, I mean, the, the, I, need to, the, I need to refresh my memory on the specifics on that one, but I think then it didn't really live long. It was just kind of <laughs> the, so that's why it can't really be tried on humans yet. But it's still interesting that they were able to transfer this memory. Mm, mm, mm. I, see, mm, I see. Very interesting, very interesting. I mean, because ultimately that's what we're doing as a society, right? Passing information to one another, whether it is school, whether through school, whether through church, through religion. It's like a section of society passing information in that section of society. So if that could be done faster, then I think it would be pleasant. Exactly. But yeah. then we should maybe keep in mind that I totally agree. That's really interesting. That like we talked about actually with the, even with the, the plasticity that there are already these blueprints that genetic blueprints we get from our parents or even like you said, our parents being that the society, nature, nurture. But what would be interesting to think about is actually because there is this accumulation of knowledge and then also it is just, um, the experience sometimes, I mean, time is a really good teacher as well. So I'm just thinking that when we talk about, because again, keep in mind that the question is this neuronal processes, how they transfer into this cognition. But maybe we are thinking about cognition as raw information, salt information, but it is maybe just, it is probably combination of everything, right? It is the time your age, even your uh, biological factors, your hormones. So maybe if you have done, let's say it is possible to have this information much earlier in a kind of in a bigger raw version. But 
would you be still able to really absorb it, process it rightly? Mm. Do you wow. see what I'm trying to say? Maybe, I mean, it is just probably, it is just the uh it is the right age right hormone right experiences we need to go through to really make that connection click for this cognition right mm. so maybe uh-huh. if it is a kind of in a big package way it will be just salt information but it wouldn't have this um correct episode. so it will be more like a computer but without uh, this human touch to it <laughs> let's wait and see let's mm. see what happens when it happens uh, <laughs> yeah uh, speaking of uh, blindness and neuroplasticity uh, I, rem- I just remember that i've seen before that some blind people are able to like they have a very impressive ability to use echolocation to navigate their environment they make some clicking sounds and they can recognize okay th- there is a door there is a tree there is a car it's really impressive. So yeah. Yeah, um, definitely. They, that's why they actually there are these devices for the to make it easier for people who have sensory loss to transfer this information, right? So kind mm-hmm. of to train their brain, like you said, for through echolocation yeah. or through touch. And when once actually there is, I think it's Ahmed's paper. So there are really nice studies which are showing that. Once you train these individuals, let's say blind person with the sounds, they are actually, mm. they perform the same way with the sighted. So they are so good as if like not being able to see doesn't oh. make any problem with their navigation. But it is not that they are so good that they are at par with the sighted. Actually, for some of the uh, functions, they, they, are, they get even better. For example, one of them is understanding the fast speech. So with the blind individuals, they are actually able to, so while sighted can't understand this speech after certain um, speed, but with the blind, they can actually still do decipher this test speech, um, right? So they get better at it. So the same thing, for example, whether it be through braille reading or it is something that their brain just develops after going through the sensory loss they also get better with this touch discrimination as well mm. uh, that's why they use the that touch uh, exactly I don't know so what's the language what's the, the, the braille that? reading right braille reading yes yeah. okay. so, so i guess one inter- uh, uh, yeah I'll, I'll, this will be my last question but i'm wondering whether it is you know the fact that they have this brain region that was initially being used for light and now is being used for some other task it now they are better at some other task because i mean they're better at some other task because some brain has some brain region has been released right mm-hmm. but you and me as people we have different amounts of things to do so to say right like so th- does that mean that different individuals would have different um I don't know if the word is amount of their brain used because it looks like every brain is assigned a task and all of us have different lives. Uh, so do oh, some people who do less have about... the capacity to do more? Oh, okay, okay. Like, uh, I see. So so it's almost, you are thinking some kind of, if there is this, from computer terminology, if I am right, so it kind of, if mm-hmm. there is this CPU the, right. devoted to one thing and then if you have this capacity, if you wouldn't be able to do more, 
and mm-hmm. if you already have something less so it gives you this kind of more freedom to maybe do other stuff right is that your be question very, very, to be very very good at some other tasks because mm-hmm. you're doing so to say less so for uh, blind people we know exactly what that is being dedicated mm-hmm. where that is coming from okay they're not processing light anymore so then they use it to get better at some other thing uh, but for every day we also have different tasks that are tasking in different ways so then do i or can we use then uh, those I mean, the, it, there are theories definitely talking about this, how one sense can interfere with the other sense. For example, that is why vision is thought to be dominant sense, right? Because we are so vision focused, like, I mean, the, from the moment you open your eyes, like you wake up, you just keep using it, right? whatever you do. Even when you touch something, it is still there. When you listen to something, it's still there. So... For the sighted people, vision would be the dominant sense, and then which is sometimes why it can interfere because the idea, the theory is that one of the theories that that they say that there is this the race of senses, so they just try to be the one like they they, they are trying to take the attention away from the other like they are like no 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 i will process this you don't you know interfere but the other one is saying like no no i want to process it as well <laughs> so imagine it's something mm-hmm. like this so which is why uh you know with the to heighten your experiences how this the last years this eating in the dark became famous right so because oh. the idea is that because you don't have you are not using your vision anymore. Now this spoiled dominant vision is not to be able to do anything. Then the other senses can use their full capacity. So that's why maybe you are paying more attention to smell, to think that you eat. So suddenly you are thinking that the food tastes much better. But it is actually just because basically we are able to put your full focus to that sense instead of vision getting interfered with it. Does mm. that make sense? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, think that's a direct yeah. So okay. on, on that sense, probably the this is actually a good question. We can make it more generalized. That is why probably one of the reasons that, you know, uh, how people go, we need to unplug, unplug. I mean, this is the, the one of the things for your brain to reduce stress a little bit. I would say that uh, just especially now we are with the, this, the phones, the computers, everything. We are always giving some kind of input to our brain, right? All the time, all the time. So we are actually... Um, somehow the, the the it is just always we are we are not giving our senses time to relax uh, especially mm-hmm. the vision so that is why uh, i think it became more and more people are looking for some kind of relaxation right be it some religious ritual be it some kind of meditation or basically just going into the mountain but basically what we are all trying to do is just have this sense of calm. And this is what is sleeping. So to giving time to your brain to process and then calm down and then put the right things into place. But because we are so bad at it, we don't even, we are not even careful with our sleep. And then if we eat at the sleep, it already has lots of things to do. So sometimes it can't do the additional stuff. 
So you really need to time to time just unplug, even kind of may probably close your eyes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sometimes just just listen to the nature, don't do anything. So I think the next big thing will be just, you know, let's today not do anything <laughs> and then just <laughs> relax and then, then for our mental health, <laughs> it will be this kind of situation. All right. All right. Uh... So yeah, I think we, we spoke uh, quite a bit about your research and uh, your academic life in general. So now I'd like to move uh, to something beyond that, which is uh, what you personally li- like to do in your free time, like what are some interests that you have beyond the research and neuroscience and, and so on. Uh, so what do you like, what kind of activities do you like to engage in in your free time? Okay, so um, uh, I mean, I, I, I do lots of stuff and probably I don't do any of them fully, right? So I, <laughs> with mm-hmm. those things, I am kind of, I don't know, like I have this, they say monkey hunger in Turkish. I don't know, probably it doesn't translate to the English, <laughs> but basically just being fascinated with everything, but not doing anything fully. So one of them is I, the, I really like learning different languages, right? So... Uh, somehow I think probably it makes me feel better because it is as if I am doing something for fun but it is at the back of my mind I am still but this is still really useful it's just something (laughs) (laughs) like good for my brain for I don't know to communicate with people so um, I do that so I have this like I mean when I say I do that that's why I said do it half so I have like in the, this language apps, I have lots of languages that I started. I know all of them, maybe 15%, but mm. not further than that. But I'm just thinking that I am opening the, the pathway, right? I am creating the road. <laughs> One day I will make it stronger. It is just okay. creating the road. So then uh, I really love, uh, so I have three brothers. So we play lots of video games with them so now we actually (laughs) when it is weekend we do this online gaming together and it is just more like for social interaction as well right just like yeah it's quite important yes it is also good for your actually like eye balance thing you know again (laughs) as a kind of excuse to playing games it is good actually for your brain if you do it in moderation and then Uh, I love puzzles for, I can, I can really be get obsessed with the puzzles. That's why it is dangerous because if I start and I do this 1,500 once, I can, yeah, I can, I can do it like for three days and then just like eating in the middle and then doing it again. I, I, yeah, I get crazy about them. So, and I love painting, but I am so bad at it. What I found the way is that I found in here this cool thing called paint by numbers so it actually tells you which color to paint where then you really have a nice picture at the end that i love it so i do those things but i think the biggest one is that i really love nature so and as much as i can and i have a really good friend that that i met here so with her we try to encourage each other to try different experiences so mm-hmm. the, the, each month we try this, one of us plan something big, right? In Singapore, I don't know this, the weather we go to this, uh, is it called pottery? Oh, how you call it? This, pottery? Like, yes, yes, Making pottery. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, we do this kind of thing. We go to Snow City, I don't know, any kind of random activity. Okay. Things that we wouldn't do, we just push each other to do it. 
and nice. just go to the walks and everything. As you can see, I do lots of stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. I forgot. Most important thing, I love reading and I can read all. So you know how people say trash TV? I do trash reading. So I find the most bizarre, like random bad book. I mean, I don't want to call it bad because someone wrote it, but <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, it is just, <laughs> I don't know. It is, uh, yeah, I mean, it is bad. I'm sorry, but it yeah. just gives me so much joy to read those books as well. So under mm-hmm. the, yeah, under a tree in the park in Singapore, you can see me finding, reading some random bad book and laughing about it. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, you have a wide, uh, a wide range of uh, activities, I can see. <laughs> yeah. So, Hikrit, it's been amazing talking with you. I personally have learned a lot. I'm very interested in the brain myself. I mean, who wouldn't be, right, since we have yeah. this thing with us? So, yeah. I, so I really did learn a lot, and uh, I think I'll, I'll, I'll definitely follow up offline uh, on some of the topics that we've covered here. But we very much appreciate your time and your um your um, your candidness about what you you know and what the future of this field is like yeah so thank, thank you, you so much, much for yeah. me as well you i mean it is lovely that you were both engaged and then you really ask really good questions for me to talk about the things more in detail because i love this so much and there's so much to cover so i can go mm. kind of yeah. off rail sometimes too deep or <laughs> sometimes mm. like not deep at all so thank you sure, for sure. guiding the talk as well. And like you said, actually for both of you and also for the listeners, if they want to have a chat again, just have follow-up questions, they can always contact me. Uh, and also they can come to the, my, the lab, which is at the HSS building, sixth floor. It's called NTU Touch Lab. <laughs> so you are okay. all welcome. NTU Touch Lab. That is HHS stands for... Uh, oh, okay. I think humanities and social science. <laughs> okay, but but into your touch lab. So exactly. yeah, it is the building next to the hive. <laughs> All right. So okay. listeners, if you wanna check Hikrit's workout or talk with her, that's the place in HHS. HHS into your touch lab. Okay. Do you have a Twitter or some account that people will follow follow you on or? or... Oh, oh no. with, with those like things, with social media, I, I am like really old school. I am like a granny. <laughs> I, only, <laughs> I only have this research gate account that they can see my published articles. If they're interested, they can have a read through. So, right. I mean, if they just search my name and surname, luckily, it's actually a really rare name. So I am the first one comes You're up the only in one. Google. <laughs> yeah. Yay! Okay. But now I am the only one. So <laughs> if they just Sorry. search my name and surname and then put it in the research gate, I should be the first one coming up. <laughs> All right. I think All we'll right. have your name in the episode title somewhere. Okay. So thank you. Okay. So people will be able to see the name there. Okay. So thanks a lot, and uh, that's it for today. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.